0: We are living at an unprecedented time in history, or at least in my lifetime. Much of the world has essentially shut down. That's right. For many of us, life as we know it has come to a screeching halt. Thanks for joining us. I'm Steve Allred, and this is Do Justice. The lives of virtually everyone on planet Earth are being affected by an enemy, that's invisible to most of us, the novel coronavirus, which produces the disease we're calling COVID-19. As someone on Twitter put it recently, for the first time in human history, the entire world is focused on one problem. As people of faith, what should be our primary concern right now? Naturally, our instincts tend towards self-preservation, and some of that is good. We need to follow the advice of the medical professionals, wash our hands, stay at home, avoid unnecessary contact with others, all while, of course, keeping our immune systems as strong as possible with practices like healthy eating and exercise and plenty of water and fresh air and rest. And by the way, I want to pause here and just say thank you to the medical professionals who are on the front line, quite literally risking their lives to care for others. I've heard some stories coming directly out of hospitals that are currently overwhelmed with COVID-19 patients and the situation is grim. But to answer the question posed a moment ago, right now, what should be our primary concern as people of faith? Perhaps the selfless actions of these doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists and other medical professionals is a reminder to the rest of us who are tempted to do things like hoard food and and, and focus on ourselves. These frontline workers remind us that life is about so much more than merely protecting ourselves. Because... If, like me, you're someone who tries to follow Jesus, you'll remember the words of Jesus where he said in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. We usually understand these words as applying to our eternal salvation, but what if it's also true that they can apply to how we live our physical earthly lives? What if hoarding food and and toilet paper, of all things, for ourselves, really isn't the way to survive when society shuts down. Some other words of Jesus come to mind. So in everything, he said, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. It's encouraging to see this pandemic bringing out the best in so many people who are loving their neighbor. Not only medical professionals, but first responders, delivery drivers bringing goods to our homes, grocery store cashiers who are still working their shifts, farm workers who are harvesting our food, and so many others. And At the end of this episode, I offer a couple of suggestions on practical ways we can help the most vulnerable among us, including the elderly, single parents, low-income families, people with health issues, and those who are working and risking their health to help the rest of us. A lot of people are wondering, is this the end of the world? 2,000 years ago, the disciples of Jesus asked him what would be the sign of his second coming in the end of the age. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verse 7, they said, Teacher, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Jesus continued in verse 25. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth, distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding at what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Is it the end of the world? Not yet. But could a global pandemic be, as Jesus put it, another birth pain? In Matthew chapter 24, verse 8, Jesus compared the signs of the end to a pregnant woman's contractions. I remember watching my amazing wife as she gave birth to each of our three children. The contractions became more frequent and intense the closer she came to delivering the baby. And aren't we seeing that in our world today? The craziness all around us is just increasing in frequency and intensity. But let's stop here and talk for a few minutes about some things that the bible indicates will transpire prior to the second coming of jesus in the clouds first everyone living on planet earth needs to hear and see the gospel in action in matthew 24 verse 14 it says and this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come jesus said before i come back the gospel the good news will go to everybody as a testimony, they're going to see it lived out in people's lives before I come back. And this actually parallels what Revelation tells us about the end-time message. In Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, John, the disciple of Jesus, the beloved, who wrote the book of Revelation after he saw these things in vision, he wrote this. He said, Then I saw another angel flying in midheaven with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth. To every nation and tribe and language and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and sea and the springs of water. Notice that the gospel message of God's free salvation by grace includes a call to reverence God, a message that judgment has come, and a call to worship the Creator God. Interestingly, the phrase, worship him who made heaven and earth and sea, is an allusion to Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, which is the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. The only command, by the way, that God told us to remember. And it's about a weekly day of rest on the day that God set apart as holy at creation as a memorial of God being the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that in them is. And this gospel message, right before Jesus comes back, reminds people that they are created by a loving creator in God's image, that they are loved by this God immeasurably, that they were created to worship this creator God, and in doing so, they will find their greatest joy and their highest purpose. And so before Jesus returns, every nation, tribe, and people hear this vital message of identity and worship. Revelation chapter 13 indicates that there will also be a universal movement of false worship at the end of time. At the same time as God's message of true worship is going around the world, the two beasts of Revelation 13 will be promoting and enforcing false worship. As some have noted, atheism is not the enemy at the end of time. The beast of Revelation chapter 13, the Antichrist beast, is not an atheist. In fact, counterfeit Christianity is the enemy at the end of time. Perhaps it's the ever-increasing natural disasters, wars, pandemics, and sociopolitical problems, but the Bible indicates that people will become more religious the closer we come to the end of time. But unfortunately, the Bible indicates that the majority of the world will not be following the true Jesus. This religion will not be one that follows the true Jesus. It will be a counterfeit religion that stands in contrast with God's true faith and the majority of the people will be following a false Christ. Revelation calls this false system of religion Babylon, false religion that pawns itself off on the world as the real thing. Now, the beasts in this apocalyptic prophetic context actually symbolize nations or political entities, if you look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 24. Interestingly, the second beast nation seems to be a worldwide superpower who appeals to the populace to enact a form of government that imitates that of the first beast nation of Revelation 13. Revelation chapter 13 verses 14 and 15 says, It, the second beast nation, deceives the inhabitants of the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that had been wounded by the sword and yet lived. That's the first beast of Revelation chapter 13. And it this second beast nation was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could even speak and cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. In other words, the second beast nation is a superpower that I think is a democracy because it's telling the people of the world, hey, you guys ought to make this happen. That's what democracies do. The leaders appeal to the people uh, to vote them into power so they can do things. And this beast nation uses its influence to unite the church, the religious power, with the state, the government, and enforce false worship on the world. Now, I believe that this second beast nation of Revelation 13 actually represents my beloved country, the United States of America. And You might ask, well, how could America, the land of religious freedom, where there is separation of church and state, where we have the First Amendment with its free exercise and establishment clauses, How could this country become a place where freedom of conscience is repressed? The Bible indicates that deception will be involved. The good news of Scripture teaches salvation by grace, which leads to a changed life of obedience to God and all of his commandments. A false gospel, however, doesn't teach that grace leads to a changed life. A false gospel uh, doesn't talk about what the Bible says about sin, at least not every sin. A false gospel teaches that God loves sinners too much to let them suffer the consequences of their actions, and be eternally destroyed. And a false gospel will teach that obeying what God has actually said in the Bible is not required. God doesn't really mean what he says. And of course, this kind of false gospel appeals to our sinful nature and unfortunately will be widely accepted in the world before Jesus returns. That's the kind of false, deceptive worship that Babylon will promote. And in Matthew 24, verse 24, Jesus said that if Possible. Even the elect, the chosen ones, his people, would be deceived by the false worship at the end of time that the whole world wonders after. In other words, in the words of one writer, so closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except by the Holy Scriptures. By their testimony, that is the testimony of the Scriptures, every statement and every miracle must be tested. As mentioned earlier, this false gospel will involve the use of forced worship. Now, God has never forced anyone to worship him. He never has, and he never will. This is why Adam and Eve had a choice in the Garden of Eden, and God has always given human beings a choice. But Revelation indicates that the church, represented by the woman of Revelation 17 and 18, will seduce the governments of the world, and together they will make all the nations drink the wine. Now, what happens when people drink lots of wine? Well, they get drunk, obviously. And the Bible says that the kings of the earth will commit adultery with her, this false church that's called Babylon. In other words, the church and the state will unite. It will be an unholy union. So the church can use the state's power to enforce her wishes. And get this, the inhabitants of the earth will be intoxicated with the wine of Babylon's adulteries. That's found in Revelation 17, verse 2. Essentially, pretty much everyone everywhere gets caught up in this false worship movement and decides that in order to save the human race, everyone needs to participate in this worship, even if they have to be forced to do it. Well, Meanwhile, there's Jesus and his followers, and what are they doing? The Bible says in Revelation 14, verse 12, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. That's what they're doing. Notice that the followers of Jesus are contrasted with the rest of the world by two characteristics here. They obey God's commands, and they have faith in Jesus, or they have the faith of Jesus, or they are faithful to Jesus. The good news is that Jesus will be with his followers. They will be inviting others to join them as they are faithful to Jesus, and many will join them. Revelation 18 says that God will say to those who are in Babylon, He's going to say say this through his people, come out of her, out of false religion, out of false worship, out of counterfeit Christianity, come out of her, my people. Well what happens next? Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 gives us a clue of something else that has to happen before Jesus comes back. At that time in Daniel 12, 1, it says, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of trouble such as never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. This time of trouble is when the seven last plagues of Revelation chapter 16 occur. God's people have been persecuted by the unholy union between the governments of the world and this false aversion of of Christianity And Babylon experiences some of her own medicine as the plagues destroy the economic prosperity and infrastructure built up by this corrupt union of church and state. All right, so with all that stuff about the future aside, what should we do now? Well, Jesus told us how to be ready for the end of the world and his second coming. Here's what he said. In Luke 21, 34 through 36, he said, Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Here's the thing. The current pandemic is another one of the contractions, if you will, of planet Earth as we hurtle through space toward the grand climax of history. Will things settle down after this? Yeah, maybe for a while. And then there will be more contractions. And like the frog in the teapot, as the temperature rises, we'll adjust to the new normal, whatever that may be. But here's where Jesus tells us to be on guard so that our hearts are not distracted from him. In other words, in times of crisis, it's easy to focus on God because we feel like we need him. But what about in times of relative peace? That's when we need to focus on Jesus too. A daily habit of prayer and Bible reading are essential disciplines to keep our focus on Jesus. The Apostle Paul in his epistle to the Romans adds another element for how to live in a state of readiness for heaven. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, he wrote in Romans 13. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Because you see, as we follow Jesus, that self-preservation instinct that initially led us to seek God begins to morph into a desire to see others be saved as well. That's why followers of Jesus won't be so much concerned about how they can survive the end of time, as they will be focused on how to help others know and follow the Jesus that they know and follow. So what are some things that we can do to do justice and help others in our world right now? Well, first, open up our hearts to Jesus. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Secondly, pray. Pray for our world. Pray for the leaders in our world, for the vulnerable, and especially for people like our frontline medical workers. Check in by phone with your elderly friends and relatives and neighbors and those who have compromised immune systems, the frontline workers, yes, those who are financially struggling, those who need our help. Offer to drop some groceries off at their front door or see what else they might need. Share a word of hope and offer to pray with them over the phone while you're on the phone with them. There are many amazing organizations we can donate to who are helping to provide lunches for low-income kids who depend on their now-canceled school lunch programs to keep them from going hungry. And of course, there are local food banks and other organizations that provide food for people. (music) To wrap it up, here's some good news for all of us. The Apostle Peter wrote these words, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise that he will return, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You ever wonder why Jesus isn't here yet? Well, that's why. Because he wants every human being on planet Earth to be saved, if possible. And he'll do anything and everything he can to give that chance to every human being. The Apostle Peter continues on, he says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. 2 Peter 3, 9-13 through Well, here's the good news. In Luke 21-28, there's this really amazing verse that I didn't share with you earlier when we were reading that passage. Jesus said, When you see these things begin to take place, the wars and the pestilences and the earthquakes and the famines, the social unrest. When you see these things begin to take place, stand up and raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing near.